Hello, welcome to Back to the Point. My name is Migs. And I'm Ian, and we're your hosts. Yeah, so let's get right into it. Um, the Sharks are 10 games into the season now, and they have a 50% win, 50% loss record. So what do you think about that? Yeah, they're, uh, they're 500 as of... I guess they're always 500 as of the last game, but they were under 500 last game instead of being above it. So they finally hit the, the point that we really want on a road trip. Um, a winning road trip. yeah. A winning road good. trip, yep, to the East Coast. Or in the season, nice to get that, a winning road trip under our, um, under our belts. Finally beat Buffalo in Buffalo, and we beat them at home. Did we or did we lose to them? No, no that was the first win, I think. Yeah, so that's a monkey off our back. That's just haunted us for for whatever reason for a really long time. The so. entire team's history. Yeah, so that's just yeah, it's kind of fun. Um, but we are a five hundred team. Obviously, we'd want to be a one thousand team, winning every game. Maybe more like the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think think we wanted to talk about the standings a little bit and how they are a little surprising i think we waited off on kind of recording our first episode until we got at least like about 10 games under the season otherwise the first episodes that we have to record every single statement we have to say is well there's only a few games played and this is a small sample size so 10 games in uh most teams have played uh 11 11 12 games so i think the sharks are good right at 10 i think it's a good point to start actually drawing some conclusions uh obviously with the caveat that they can turn it around but i think we are seeing how this season's gonna play out um you know give and take some hot streaks and some cold streaks but i think we can make some assumptions about this team now without having to qualify them too much yeah i'm just gonna go by what i've seen on the eye test so far i mean i've gotten to see most of the sharks games so far and Overall, I've been I've been pretty pleased with the way they've played minus the stinker against LA, which I think was like the second game of the season or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I think the team's been pretty overall pretty consistent about bringing um, like a good offensive effort, having good like possession time in the offensive zone, um, playing to the the skill and speed of some of their younger players, and I think those players are um, contributing a bit. Which I think uh, we also want to talk about. Um, DeBoer's handling the young players, but that'll be a little bit later on in the podcast. Um, But yeah, I've been pretty happy with the team has played. I mean, it's a five and five and five record, which isn't the greatest, but based on their performance on the ice, I think there was a couple games that, you know, they, they got bit in the butt a little bit because they let in some bad goals. Uh, It seems like the sharks are the most penalized team in the the NHL currently. (laughs) They are suffering a lot due to the rule changes with the the slashing the slashing rule changes where pretty much like any contact to the hands at all seems like it's called hooking some really weak hooking calls that I've seen. Um, anyway, like you know that's if that's how they're gonna do it. I think I just wish that in a couple games it seemed like a little bit uneven. Maybe it was the Islanders game where they weren't calling things the other way. But, you know, that happens. Anyway, I, I think I'm happy with the way the Sharks are, are, are playing. I think what's happening is uh, the rumor mill is kind of chugging along about uh, the Sharks maybe, or sorry, Doug Wilson more specifically, seeking to add 
a piece to add to the offensive depth of the team, whether that's like a first liner or a second liner. So, yeah, yeah. what do you think? Um, yeah, I, I also feel like the penalties are biting us in the butt. Um, although I think the Sharks are pretty good at keeping their stick in control as opposed to other teams. I think uh, DeBoer's system is about being really good defensively with your stick and, and maybe not doing so many lazy plays. And you've seen that with our defense over the past few years. Uh, I too was interested to see if we were the most penalized team. And I looked, I looked just now when you said that the sharks have taken the, the sharks are ranked 19th out of 31 for most for, penalties or yeah. So if you were ranked number one, you have taken the most penalties. Oh really? That's the, that's the predators with 69 penalties so we're bottom half are you serious yeah we're we're bottom third bottom uh no no we're middle we're middle third bottom half almost bottom third dang that's crazy it seems like we were been penalized so much yeah and everyone is and and you think about it now and and this is just me going off of what i feel i can't really remember but most of the penalties are obviously things like slashing and hooking now those are getting called like crazy um and it's being taken by younger players mm-hmm. uh, who are reaching and often one-handed with the stick. I haven't seen too many veteran players get called for um, these slashing penalties or these hooking penalties. Not to say that they haven't, but like I'm thinking of LeBanc and Donskoy. Those are yeah. two names that really stuck out. Maybe just because last game Donskoy did it twice and that first game LeBanc did it three times. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the people who are coming into the league, trying to figure out where they're fitting and, you know, earn their spot and trying to go the extra mile. And those are the people I see one hand on the stick leaning in and trying to like whack away instead of moving their feet and using two hands. And I feel that, uh, the refs are calling it more anything that goes in the hands, it's going to get called. But I think if you move your feet and use two hands, you're in a better position to do that and not look as uh, egregious. Yeah, you were telling me the other day that anytime they use, like, one hand to kind of reach, you think they're going to call that pretty much. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, And I think DeBoer, I think in one of the post-game press conferences or post-game scrums or something like that, people were talking about how they really need to keep two hands on a stick. Um, That helps you keep your – helps you play heavy and keep your stick under your control instead of being stick-lifted and stuff so you have more pressure and force behind it. Also, I think it helps you stay good defensively. Yeah. But yeah, sorry for that long rant, but uh, maybe not a rant. Anyways, but really, Nashville Nashville is number one with sixty nine penalties in how many games? In eleven. Okay. Wow. So, so that's. And they've had oh they've already had, had sixty minor and what four is that majors seven, averaging like in, seven or eight per game? The, uh, at least I mean it's six per game, right? Eleven. 66 six per game would be 60 total 66 total they're at 69 it looks like they've had four majors and two game misconduct or two misconducts right now so it looks like maybe there was a game that got out of hand that really bumped them up there interesting but yeah the top half of the league um the top third of the league are all 50 penalties or more middle is in the 40s and we are at 44 so, the team that jumps out at me is the Carolina Hurricanes, who have taken 23 penalties in nine games played. 
They're at the bottom. They're the they're least. the they're the very least amount of penalties <clears throat> played. Okay. So, and there's a big jump. Basically, most of the league is around fifty forty, and that's in the middle middle third. But there's a few teams that are below forty. But the Carolina Hurricanes really doing well with these new rules. Yeah, it's you know it's new rules and it's a transitionary period right now where the game it's one of those things where the way people play has to change defensively and the way they stick check and everything so you know what what what's getting called now you know a lot of those penalties wouldn't get called last year and so mm-hmm. some of these players have already been playing maybe the veterans less so cuz they're able to maybe adapt their game more easy. i guess you could argue the other way that they can't adapt their game as well but i get what you're saying why the young players want to go the extra mile but it it'll probably tone down a little bit. It just seems like when I've yeah. seen some of those penalties so far, I've been like, really? Like I can't even see what type of infraction infraction yeah. there ba- barely, you know, stuff that they it's would just, let go all the time before. Yeah, I mean, which I guess is kind of nice as a fan because you would see things that happen all the time, and you'd be like, why isn't that a slash? Mm-hmm. Why isn't that hooking? And now it's like if you touch near his hands it's hooking or it's slashing. Like if you, if you tap the stick, no matter how hard and it's near the flan, the near the hands, it's going to be slashing. So now it's at least <laughs> the flan. What is the that? Flans. <laughs> the fans hands. Uh, okay. At least it's consistent now. And I know Jamie Baker is on the, you know, color commentary for, for the sharks and every call he's always like, ah, yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> and then, and then he always qualifies it with say, you know, as long as they call it consistently, and I think they have done a good job. He's he's had a lot of those pauses. Just like, yeah. they show the replay and there's silence on the broadcast, and he's like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I I think it maybe will tone down a little bit, but I think you know some teams are 12 games in already, and it's just as called as it was in the first games. I think this is here to stay. Um, I think it'll get called less because players will adapt and learn mm-hmm. and kind of get more muscle memory around it. But I think it's not really going to be called any differently now. But also, like, you have to consider maybe the refs are feeling things out a little bit too. And once they yeah. get more of, like, a, a feel mm-hmm. of the general landscape of what they're all doing, like, they can have develop more of a consensus of, you know, these are the th- type of things we're calling or not, you know? And maybe yeah. that'll take a short amount of time. Maybe it'll take a long amount of time. I'm not really exactly sure. Yeah, yeah I think it's interesting um, because I think it's way less subjective than it ever has been. So these, like, ref meetings, if they ever need to do anything, I think is now maybe doesn't need a consensus. Obviously, they'll talk about maybe some outlier calls when they come together if they ever do that. But now the rule is... Did you touch the hands? The hand area, yes. Mm. And then it's a slashing. What do you mean the hand area? Uh, you know, you're holding your stick, the upper, you know, you've got your top hand on the very butt end of your stick. Yeah. And then you've got like a foot and a half between your bottom, your other hand. Yeah. So that's like a two foot, uh, two foot space at the very top of your stick. Yeah. That's the hand area. Okay. So, so if you get, if you get your blade or any part of your stick in that hand area near the hands, yeah. at like two feet, you're going to get called a slashing and they've been very consistent about that. But like below, like the bottom hand, they won't call. Yeah, and you've seen that. Unless it's like a what, like a like a full. Yeah, unless like, it's whack, what would have right? been called before, right? Yeah. You just <laughs> slam your stick down to do whatever, and you break his stick. You know yeah. that's gonna be called. I think hooking is the one that's a little weird. 
Um, I've always been kind of 50-50 on that one. Like, it looks like a hook, but I guess you're not actually, like, pulling them back. So, but you're reaching around them. Like, who knows? But, yeah, yeah I think it'll... You know what I, I think? I think it'll kind of tone down a little bit. Sorry. I think it'll tone down a little bit, and you're right. The refs will come together. They'll talk. Players will learn. But I don't think it's, like, an initial influx of just this huge call as the season starts. I think, like, this is going to be the new normal. And, you know, maybe a call to a lesser degree, but... Yeah. I think one call that a lot of players get away with is when they hold the stick and draw a hook. Yeah. You know? I think, I think that'll be abused a lot now. Yeah. Um... Because that's always frustrating because it's like you are definitely holding the stick and you drove a penalty when you did the illegal thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, um, anyway. Speaking of the young players and how they're kind of adapting to these new rules and maybe not as well as some of the older players, um, Sharks Twitter, Sharks other podcasts, Sharks Media, maybe not from the professional media, but... Uh, People want DeBoer out already based what? on how he's handling. Yeah. Have you heard? People are always like, I'm already sour on DeBoer. I've never seen and that. It, that I mean, I don't really follow like the lay yeah. person on, tw- on Twitter, but yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen it to that extreme. I have. Yeah. Maybe I need to stop following who I need to follow, who I'm following. And I was <laughs> thinking about the other day is like, I just really just need to start following the uh, uh, verified people yeah. who like work yeah. for actual news sports outlets writers and, sort of, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Please follow us, though, uh, <laughs> even though we're not very We are very much lay people. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, people are really pissed about how uh, DeBoer is handling the prospects and judging him from what he's done in the past versus now. Um, just saying that, like, LeBanc should be on the first line, never taken off the first line, and... If he makes mistakes, he needs to, like, be forgiven and, like, let him learn. And then, like, Meyer, they view the same way. Like, they just need to be up in the league and they need to sit there and, like, be able to, like, have a long leash so that they make mistakes and learn. And I get that if you're the bottom third of the league, you know, and, like, you're clearly rebuilding and you have no future other than these people who need to learn, yeah, give them a short leash. But the thing that bothers me is that DeBoer really preaches com- competition and that, like, that everyone is on a clean slate and the people who work hard, play hard every single night consistently will get ice time. And you really see that. You see people like Bodker, Donskoy, Meyer, Hansen, Everyone wants every once in a while another bigger name will get scratched, and it's just like oh snap he's really practicing what he preaches, and I really appreciate that because the Sharks for years and years and years have been so inconsistent with how they play games across like the week versus how they play in the game, and now he's really focusing on everyone needs to be a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. And if you're not, he's going to put you down. <laughs> if you take a couple bad penalties, like you're off that line and you're going to get a little bit less ice time if someone else is doing better. Yeah. And I really appreciate that because this is the NHL. You know, this is the best league in the world and there's only so many roster spots. And if you're not going to work your tail off to get there every single moment you're on the ice, 
how are you going to be an effective like top six player in the NHL? Like the reason why Couture and like Marlowe and Thornton are always there is because they work their tails off 24 seven to do that, mm-hmm. you know? And they're very talented. They're very talented. Yeah. <laughs> but like LeBanc is talented, you know, he's got an amazing shot, but also you said Marlowe and he's not on the team anymore and you twisted the knife know, a little he's bit like, more. <laughs> sorry to, sorry to trigger you. But, like, I th- that was always said of Marlowe is that he was a model professional. And, you know, his Iron Man – I don't know what his Iron Man streak was, but he played how many going. seasons with us? Yeah, and he missed how many games? Like, maybe 10. I think he's, like, on 500-something or 600-something straight now. Exactly. Like, he's 38, and he's still, like, a well-oiled machine that's not slowing down, mm-hmm. you know? And that it that's all about hard work. And Paul Gackle um, – from the Bay Area News Group is uh, always commenting at the practices. The first person on the ice is Pavelski, or it's Thornton, or it's uh, Burns. You know, and it's not these young guys who need the extra practice and the extra work to get onto the team. And he's always commenting like, you know, if you want this roster spot, you need to earn it. And those players aren't putting in the amount of effort they need to do. Yeah, I mean. Uh- I, I, I probably can't comment on how much, you know, the players are staying on the ice and stuff because I haven't looked into that deeply. But I just know I agree with what you're saying that, like, DeBoer hasn't favored the veterans <clears throat> so far. Like you said, like, Ward's been scratched a couple games in a row, I think. Uh, Bodker and Hansen have been scratched. You know, it, it's not like he's just always putting in those those third, fourth-line veterans in place of young players. And to be honest, I think like LeBanc and Meyer have both played through most of the games of the season. Uh, Don Skoy has been playing consistently again, and, and to you know Don Skoy's kind of gotten a little bit of his groove back so far this season. Um, I, I don't know, maybe they're upset about the the players that are on the the Barracuda now, like uh, what's his name, Danny O'Regan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, besides <laughs> besides that, I think. All of the young players that we were looking at. Oh, Sorensen. You know, Sorensen's yeah. been down at the Barracuda. Besides those two players, I mean, the rest of the guys that we were looking to maybe step up and try and crack a spot on the roster are getting that chance. LeBanc, Meyer, um, yeah. Heed, and Ryan have both been up. And you know what? Those guys, like, have been earning their spots. Those Dude, guys are doing killing in it. really well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't understand why... I understand why people brought up this argument in the past, but if, if, if what you're saying is true, that they're, they're kind of calling for DeBoer to be out, I don't know, now of all times, it seems like those players are getting a good shot right now, you know? Yeah. So, and I, yeah. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I, uh, I just feel like, okay, if you feel like, oh, well, how come all these veteran players aren't getting scratched? Like, they're still favoring these veteran players, like you said, on maybe the top six. It's he's not favoring the veterans because they're veterans. He's favoring them because of their performance. Okay, yeah. And the effort they put in, you know. And, like, the people on the bottom line who aren't getting that performance, who are veterans, like, aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. And, like, Marcus Sorensen, okay, he didn't he didn't meet the bar, you know. He didn't make the team. Danny O'Regan didn't make the team. You know, we have a lot of people in competition, and the people who were best primed with the most skill and the most – quality performances made it you know and uh you just yeah DeBoer DeBoer is saying is like for every mistake that these rookies make they need to make 
like in order for me to view them as like positively progressing, they needed to have five good five good things about the game they played instead of for every one negative thing. Yeah. You know, and that's because they haven't earned the spot and they haven't shown that consistently they're playing at a high level all the time. They're still building that reputation they have about how they play. And if you don't have a reputation, you have to make it by how you play. And that's what they're trying to do. And to win the coach, like if you're just for every good thing you do, you do a bad thing. It's like, well, you're not really affecting our performance in a positive direction. You're just being neutral. Yeah. We'll bring in someone else who's knocking at the door who maybe will push it to be that like maybe for every two good things they do do a bad thing. Yeah. Better than what you're doing, they're going to get that roster spot. Yeah. And that and that whole thing about like people shuffling around the lines, like why don't they just let all the people just like sit for the same lines? Like why doesn't why aren't the lines set and they never shuffle them around? It's like these are professional players. DeBoer doesn't do it very much any differently than anyone else. There's an athletic article that was written last week about maybe it was the week before about coaches who shuffle lines in all the area, all the markets where the uh, athletic is. So the Sharks were in there because the athletic is in the Bay Area, and they were talking about how DeBoer does it. He's in the top like third of the league for shuffling their lines, but everyone was in within like a five point percentage spread of like the most person would only did it five percent more than the least person who does it mm-hmm. and it's like DeBoer isn't just this like single person who like shuffles lines all the time like literally everyone does mm-hmm. and that really bothers me is that people like look at the coach and they don't like that the team isn't winning the Stanley Cup every year and they think that just because a player is young that the player is good and like will help the team succeed mm-hmm. It's like Marcus Sorensen can skate in a straight line very, very fast. But after that, like, he's not really having a big impact, you know? Well, we don't know. I mean, he's down at the Barracuda right now. He hasn't played a game this year. That's why he's down at the Barracuda. (laughs) Well, I I mean, even. No, I mean, professional, like, Gackle, Paul Gackle, and Kevin Kurz, and some other people really thought Marcus Sorensen was a lock for the team. Mm hmm. And he didn't put in the effort that, let's say, Kevin LeBanc put over the summer. There was a lot of talk about how Kevin LeBanc came into his training camp, like, just ready to succeed and really put on the weight and the work that he needed to do to get there. So I think people need to look at how the rest of the league is operating, how the Sharks are doing, and really take a deep look at, at our prospects about how good they are, about how truly skilled they are, and about what they can do, instead of just saying, oh, they're young, therefore they're good. Mm-hmm. You know, like Kevin LeBanc was, he was in the sixth round, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was an overage scoring champion in the OHL, and clearly it shows he's got a good shot, but he probably would have been taken earlier if he was like this ultra complete player. And, you know, he clearly has learned it a bit uh, in his overage years in the OHL, and he's learning it now, so maybe he probably would have gone higher, but. You know, he's not like a uh, like a Clayton Keller or like a Tyson Jost or some other prospects that aren't like a McDavid that clearly are more complete players than what he was, who can still score. Yeah, but I, I think there's something to be said about reserving <clears throat> reserving judgment the other way. Like, I, I mean, 
the the argument that a lot of these people are making for you know letting these younger players stay is to to get them seasoned and have that experience of learning from their mistakes and everything rather than just be sending down to a lower caliber league that won't challenge them in the same way um so i mean but i get what you're saying i think there's an argument to be made both ways um but with what's gone on so far i think despite those players making the mistakes they're still getting the chance um a la timo meyer and lebanc you know who have been you know they've had some pluses they've had some minuses and i don't mean the statistics i mean you know positive aspects to their game and negative aspects to their game and so but they're still getting that chance you know they're still getting that seasoning so i'm not sure why those people would be so upset um, on the other side of things but i wouldn't say that like because you're saying that like these players aren't very complete players, but I don't know, maybe they will develop into you know good NHL players. So for me personally, saying, I want to reserve a bit more judgment. Um, yeah, I, I would. You're you're definitely right. I, I'm not saying that they aren't complete players, ever. I'm saying right now there's we there's work that they need to do. Yeah, yeah. And that that's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But um, um, I'd also like to apologize for the listeners. Uh, I think my washing machine is rattling. If you hear that, mm. please don't I have worry. a fan Sorry. running on in my room. I don't know if that's like a annoying background noise. This one, I think this one's like rattling against the wall, so it's kind of like reverberating. It's good I'm not eating that crunch bar anymore because I was then I would have like that munching right in my microphone. Oh, that's that's so good. Yeah, it's we're we're two days before Halloween now, and I've I've started to kind of down that candy recently. <laughs> we just got a bag for some of the kids who uh, yeah. live near us and. Hopefully they take all of it, and we do not have a ton of extras. <laughs> I know. We just got yeah. candy for ourselves. <laughs> Ourself. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna leave a bowl by the door, so every time we enter and leave, we can have a handful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think people, just as I need to reserve judgment on our prospects, I do think people need to take a, a good, long, hard look at our prospects relative to like other teams prospects around the league and just to like really think about how good like complete players scoring all this stuff these players are that we have like clearly we have some good ones but just because a player is young and fast doesn't mean that they're going to be a great player like you can look at Bodker right Bodker was a first round pick uh I think he's hit 50 points once or twice in a season and after that most seasons he's around 30 to 40 probably not the amount of the caliber of player they were looking but he's super fast you know he can do a lot of things fast and that's good but you know we do need more than that so mm-hmm. i think a lot of people see like the maple leafs and they're like oh my gosh they're all so young and fast and they're so good and it's like yeah the maple leafs have like a ton of highly highly skilled first round picks all in the same two three four years that are just like killing it they also don't play defense sometimes yeah they're also like winning their games by (laughs) one goal and they're like seven to eight (laughs) you know (laughs) and they have a really good goalie too frederick anderson is is a a good younger goalie who's you know keeping them in a lot of games and if they had a little bit more team defense and they actually had and they also had a better back end maybe it'd be a little different but speed just playing fast getting to point a and point b isn't what people talk about when they need when the game's getting faster it's that quick transition from 
defense to offense or offense to defense. Mm-hmm. That's what is done fast, and that's what helps really execute plays well. And I think Burns does a really, really good job of that. Yeah. You know, I there have been times, like, where I've been watching the Sharks games recently, and, you know, they're getting their, you know, classic Sharks cycle game going, but it's not, mm-hmm. like, slow and lumbering. Like, when they're on it, they're, like, they're exhausting the other team in their defensive zone because they're moving so quickly with the cycle and, like, kind of, <laughs> spinning around, get around back to the point, getting along the boards, getting a quick drop pass to the person behind you, like uh, far, a little bit far out from the boards. It's just really cool to see them get that momentum and then they're generating shots. And I, I really like if they can learn to maintain that offensive pressure, which, you know, I think they've been doing a pretty decent, decent job yeah. at. I think that they need to work on is, is clearing up the uh, defensive zone, you know, just giving up stupid plays that are easily corrected, um, which I think they they have recently, and not taking so many penalties, which we already discussed. I uh, think yeah, go ahead. I think the Sharks are doing a. I mean, obviously, everyone needs to keep their stick down and stop taking penalties, but I think for the most part, the Sharks are doing good defensively. I think the issue is with scoring for me. Like I, I am comfortable with the puck in our own end because I trust that the teams really got it. Obviously, everyone's going to score most games. Not every game is a shutout, but I feel I trust the team's defense. Um, people really like to harp on Brendan Dillon that he needs to be like off the team. Don't get where that comes from. Yeah, he's a completely. I liked him this last. I liked him last season. Yeah, I liked his speed, and he like he does that good transition play, and he does jump into the zone. Like he's a good player. Yeah, you know, um, Burns. I am not really a fan of how he starts the power play. He seems like to make, he seems super, super casual and makes a lot of, like when a forward is pressuring him on the power play, he seems to make a lot of like defensive mishaps that lead to the power play not executing. Um, So I don't like how he leads the breakout on a power play, but other than that, every single pass Burns has is like immediately off his stick all the way is like a, a big stretch pass to the D entering the zone. And they're very accurate too. And there's, yeah, that does not everyone has that. And that's yeah. why Burns is such a good defenseman. And I really see that launching, like when people talk about like fast plays and playing fast and the league is getting faster, it's quick transitions and it's like a, a quick strike offense. If I've heard that happen a couple times, like plays where they're scoring off the rush. Mm-hmm. So Burns passes it to a forward and the forward enters the zone and the first couple seconds of zone entry, they score. Mm-hmm. The Sharks definitely can do that cycle very well in scoring. Like you talked about, they're elite in that category. Other teams are definitely way more elite in the quick strike league. I think of like faster teams like the Penguins for a couple years now the I don't need to list names but you know the reason why we lost the Stanley Cup final was felt in that but we were getting those goals like Don scoring the past two games has scored goals right off the rush right entering the zone with some laser shots mm-hmm. you know like the Sharks are there obviously we can improve but I like our team I think if we had more scoring depth we would be very dangerous like the year we went to the Stanley Cup final yeah Oh, I've been that. talking a lot. You I need to talk more. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, that was so fun. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the way the standings are playing out so far in the season. Uh, there have been some surprises. Um, 
I think uh, at the top of the list include the, the new expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights being, you know, I think they're the number three team in the league this year. They So far, they've only lost one game. Uh, they're the currently King. in the league. They're 16 points. Uh, there's a three-way tie for first. The Kings, Blues, and Lightning all have 19 points. And the Devils and the Golden Knights are tied for six. I guess third, right? Because there's a three-way tie. One, two, three. They're tied for fourth with the second most points at 16. Yeah. So so they're like right at the top, right? Uh, yeah, I think they're, they're leading the Pacific Division for sure. Yeah. But, you know, at the other end, like, I didn't think the Coyotes were going to be this amazing team. But the, for them to have not won a single game yet, 11 Wait, games me, played and they're my... 0, 10, and 1. Wow. That oh, is, it's true. Oh, it's that so is so bad. bad. Not only that, poor desert dogs. <laughs> not only that, they're minus twenty-two. Yeah, for goals scored versus goals against. And let, oh. let's just talk about the Pacific Division. Uh, LA's at the top with nineteen. Then you have Vegas with sixteen. And guess who's third? Vancouver. Vancouver. You know, she's yeah. like they have three more points of the Sharks, two more points of the Ducks. It looks like the Ducks are going to... Oh, no, the Ducks are losing 3-2 at the end of the second. It's yeah, uh, the Ducks, They're playing the Hurricanes right now. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. The Ducks uh, were missing Ryan Getzlaff for a while. Yeah. And he's healthy. And they were also... They're still missing Ryan Kessler for a while. So, you know, losing your top two centers... And Getzlaff is right up there with the Joe Thornton category with, like, elite playmakers. Plays big body style. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not as old and as established as Thornton, but you know he's quite there. Yeah, and guess who- it's like missing Thornton and Thornton and Couture, really. Yeah, that like would they're be doing that. just fine, and when those guys get healthy, they'll be they, right back. They've up been there. they've been doing all right, like despite yeah. that. They're I mean definitely, they're like us. Definitely. They're they have a fifty percent record pretty much now. They have one overtime loss. But guess yeah, who? And is- that's and that's what I sorry, like teams like the Ducks and us who are like a little bit deeper, but maybe are lacking that high end stuff. Yeah. Like when we sustain an injury. We're right in the race, yeah. you know? And then you look at the uh, Coyotes. They lost Anti-Ranta, their starting goalie. They're effed. <laughs> they're screwed. That's why. That's a huge reason why they are so bad. It's because yeah. they lost. They don't have depth. They had one good position. They didn't really go after a good backup goalie. And Anti-Ranta, who they traded for the offseason... Not a super proven guy, but from good. New York, right? From New York, yeah. They made a big trade to get him in Stepan, and they gave up D'Angelo and some other stuff. Anyways, Ranta goes down, and their backup is not good. They actually just waived him yesterday, Louis Domingue. Mm. He's he's waived. Okay. You know they're just they're like a tire fire at the goalie position, and some of their I don't think all of their acquisitions have really panned out as they wanted. But that just shows that like. Depth is a big thing. Yeah. But guess who is last in the Pacific besides the Coyotes? Don't look Let it me up. get an Edmonton. <laughs> I know. It's so pleasing. Sorry, I have it right heart. here, but it's just, yes. <laughs> Screw you. And then Calgary is right there. Yeah. Right there, too. Actually, but, no, Calgary's five and six. But yeah. that being said, you know, they're only like three points behind the Sharks and the Flames. And it, it's all still like. As much as it's been 10 games, so we get a good idea of how things are going, like, these standings are still going to change a lot, I think, moving forward. A lot, yeah. 
but I just I I do appreciate how it's just a good like gut check be like hey just because a team looks good on paper or they've got some like overhyped people on the roster that some people like on Twitter and other people just really like to say is like oh a huge difference maker it's like maybe the GMs actually know what they're doing and every move they make is not idiotic <clears throat> you know yeah, I feel like a lot of people on Twitter are like, you know, like I, oh, this GM should be fired. It's like, have you ever praised a GM for just like on average? Like they're very smart. <laughs> this know? podcast is also about just defending general managers, namely Doug Wilson. <laughs> I feel like we're the only podcast that's like generally positive. <laughs> and I'd like to keep it that way. We're not disillusioned, but we're also not just like negative people 24 seven because we think we could do better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Edmonton uh, Drysaddle got hit in the eye with a stick and or a puck, and he has concussions. So he was back just a game or two. Uh, but yeah, like we were saying when we played them last year, they've got McDavid, they got Drysaddle, and then literally no one for the other two lines. Yeah, for the bottom lines. Let's see. I'm, I got curious and see how McDavid's not even like top twenty in points. Yeah, the big the big thing that everyone hates is Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, like, why didn't the Sharks take Kyler Yamamoto? And I think he has four points, which is great for him. Four but points. It's not like I think so. For what team? Uh, the Oilers. But what? Why is four points that great? That's what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The Sharks were like, everyone on Twitter was roasting the Sharks like, oh, you didn't take Kyler Yamimoto. He's like a fast, undersized scorer. He's going to be just as good as Johnny Gaudreau. And it's like, mm. <laughs> That's really tough to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm not doubting his skill and that he can be that. But just because a player is fast and a player is young and a player is undersized doesn't mean that they're going to succeed at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. You know, I really think people need to like. I really think there's just like a big fallacy that if those things are true of a player, they will succeed, and they haven't been able to succeed because like GMs didn't value it until like just these past two three years. It's like let's look over time about all the players before them who couldn't succeed because they weren't, you know, because they were too small or they were only fast and that was it. Yeah, why but I'm getting I... into some weird theories right yeah, now. Yeah, I see what you're saying. People get, like, really excited about things that are, like, I don't know. But they probably know more than I do. Uh, I'm trying yeah, to find... I would, jo- I'll qualify everything I just said with, I, I'm sure people are much smarter than I. <laughs> like, let's go look four years into the future, and Kyler Yamamoto will be, like, a 40-goal scorer. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, Josh Norris is good, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably look like an idiot in a few years. Why can't I find Connor McDavid on the... <laughs> I can't find him on the point standings. Uh, Is he even, well, lo- like, top 150? Well, I mean, right now, it's like... everyone. There's, like, a million people at six points, so... Yeah, how did... I can't search on this app for some reason. Oh, here. If you... I'll help you out. Maybe I can? I don't know. That's so weird. Anyway, so is he not having a good season so far? That's my question. That's what I want to know. Are you, <laughs> we're like both furiously looking it up. Because yeah. people in Edmonton might be pissed right now, and I don't, I don't really know. Okay. 
McDavid is at 11 points in 10 games played. Okay, that's good. So he's doing great. <laughs> he's still above a point-per-game player. That, so. That's not McDavid's status, but... <laughs> yes, it is. Well, yeah, but, you know, last year he was more than a point-per-game player, you know? He's currently more than a point-per-game player. By one point. I don't know. He's just he's just not blowing. He's at he's at one point right one now. points per game. Let's see. So if you if he doesn't change anything and he scores at the same rate, he's a ninety point player, which is only just a little bit different from yeah, last year. And he probably will just stay there. <laughs> yeah, let's look at their you know what I found? I found this oh, there great I found this great website called uh Daily Faceoff. Okay. And I'm going to plug it a little bit, but they have updated daily line combinations for every team in the league. Hmm. I've been using it for fantasy a little bit, doing some research. I like it. But, like, if I go to the Oilers, yeah, so Drysaddle's back and they're trying to dig themselves out of the hole. These are their top two lines. Maroon, McDavid, Drysaddle, first line. Lucic, Hop, Nugent Hopkins, Mark Letestu on the second line. And then the third line is Drake Kajula, Ryan Strom, Zach Cassian. And then the fourth line is Yusi Jokinen, Jujar, Jujar, Jujar Kaira. Sorry if I butchered that name, trying to learn how to say it. And then Anton Slepyshev for fourth. So they literally have all their talent in the first two lines. And Kyler Yamamoto does not appear on this list anymore. Hmm. Where did he go? Is he in the AHL? Uh, what happened to him? I'd love to hear what happened to him. Oh, okay. Look at this article. Anyway. Yeah, doesn't look like he's on the lineup right now, Yamamoto. Okay. We can stop doing research on the podcast live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, the Oilers have been hampered by, again, their uh, the way their contracts are set up. Uh, next year it'll kick in, but they only have money going to McDavid and Dreisleidel and then very little to everyone else. So obviously they're going to be top-heavy, but they're going to be – ultra top heavy so if someone goes down in those top two positions mm. it's really going to hurt their team because they can't really do much after that right so uh yeah so dry has been out for a while for them just is he coming he back tonight games. though or later, uh, he's he's been back in a game or two or something like oh, that okay yeah but so that's that's maybe why they haven't been lighting the league but i know that they're haven't been playing quite as well as uh todd mcclellan has wanted yeah so so uh moving on Important thing, uh, Monday is the return of Patrick Marlowe to oh, to yeah. his home. <laughs> to his true and rightful his true home. true and rightful home. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, man, that would be cool to go to that game. But I yeah, actually will like, be in San Jose on. next weekend, and it is oh, Star will? Wars night next Saturday. But I should uh, probably spend some time with my family. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why you're there. Yeah. Or spend time with your Sharks family. Oh, that's that wasn't very good. <laughs> no, okay. okay, 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 okay. Yeah. So, um, 
that'll be that's must Marlo's Marlo's gonna right tear up. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's gonna tear up. That's tomorrow. That is tomorrow. We're recording Monday's this. Tomorrow. We're, yeah, wow. we're recording this on the 29th. I can't wait to see their tribute video. It better be like 20 minutes oh, long. Oh yeah. They better show that on the broadcast instead of just in the arena. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Oh man, I miss. Patty. It's great because Toronto oh. is paying attention to San Jose now. I want to tell you about my daydreams about Patrick Marlowe. So this is my scenario, right? And this is like completely, like probably, definitely not going to happen. I, I kind of hope that, you know, like Patrick Marlowe will be kind of having a down year and <laughs> the Sharks are doing well. So they're looking to like prep for their, <laughs> their playoff run. And then the Maple Leafs are like, you know what? Like <laughs> we'll trade Marlowe and we'll, we'll retain some salary. So <laughs> they trade Marlowe back to us and retain like, retain like 40, 30, 40% of his salary, which makes his contract like very like easy for <laughs> to handle and then we have Marlo back on the team and then we win the Stanley Cup this year and then we trade him back to being, to Toronto no and then he stays and he retires. retires he retires so his contract gets terminated and then could you not we... make my daydream negative okay please just keep it positive <laughs> so that's my dream and I'm hoping it'll mm-hmm. happen beyond all hope um, yeah because I really uh, like Marlo. yeah well talking about the Maple Leafs uh, they have Nylander, Nylander, uh, Matthews, who's going to get a monster contract. And he, rookie year, he scored forty goals. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's crazy. And they also have Mitch Marner too, uh-huh. and he's been doing just fine. But the coach has been putting him lately on the fourth line. Um, not sure what motivates that, but he still commands at least Logan Couture money. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and they already have some contracts tied up. You know, it's they're not all like a total bottom of the barrel team, kind of like Carolina, where they've got a lot of good prospects, but they didn't really have much on the team other than them. Like, oh, dude, like, they're uh, gonna be good this year. Yeah, they they are good. What I mean to say is, like, they <laughs> basically had an absolutely like cl- clean slate working with them. Mm. Toronto didn't have quite as a clean of a slate. Mm. You know, they did have some contracts on the books and stuff. Like, they have. Obviously, they have Marlowe now, and they have uh, Kadri and some other players like Van Riemsdyk. Um, yeah, so they're going to have a lot of contracts coming up and a lot of highly skilled players, and I could see someone getting squeezed out. You know, or like, not saying that we get them, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, like, they have too many good young players that they need to sign. Unless everyone plays nicely, um, it could create an interesting situation for them. So. Yeah, I don't think they would get cool. rid of if they can I don't keep think they get rid Nylander, of anyone. Marner and Matthews. They're going to go I mean, that's like a solid They're going to go far. You know? yeah. They're not going to get rid of yeah. any of those players, I think. Yeah, it might take someone, you know, taking a smaller uh bridge contract. I was listening to the Leafs Lunch Sportsnet people, and mm-hmm. they were kind of talking about that like uh maybe Mon- Marner's on the fourth line so that the coach can negotiate like a, a short-term bridge contract so they can like figure out all the cap not sure how yeah. much of that is true if at all but yeah it's tough i mean it's tough for teams yeah, now where tough. players are getting so much money for not being that good like look at milan lucic like he's not oh he's like a solid player but he doesn't 30 what is it 38 million dollars over seven years or something like that yeah he's getting like six that's ridiculous, you know. Like yeah, he's not a six million dollar player. It, it, that's just one example. There's so many players that are getting a 
Patrick Marlowe got so much money, and he's 38 years old, right? Yeah, he's good, but he's not that good. Like, it's hard. Like, like this, this, and th- since so many players are getting signed to these contracts, that's like setting the standard, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's like setting the market for sure. <laughs> and then everyone's doing these ultra long term contracts. Mm. Like, McDavid, and like, I 100% agree with the player, you know? Mm. Like, the player, like, McDavid is going to get what he wants. He's going to get his eight year, $12 million contract. Like, I, I sure hope McDavid does not have, like, a career-ending injury. Mm-hmm. You know, like, a, a Chris Pronger signs an enormous contract in Philadelphia, plays for a while, gets hit in the eye a couple seasons into it, and then has concussion syndromes and just can't play anymore. Yeah. You know, I would hate for that for McDavid to happen, but from, like, the point of view of a team, like, not everyone is in McDavid's situation where they can absolutely just command, like, whatever they want. Mm. But teams are still going to wait these, like, six-year, seven-year, eight-year contracts. It's like, whoa, like, slow down a little bit. Like, <laughs> like you can't predict the future. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Other than that, Sharks are doing pretty well. How sad are you that Burns doesn't have a goal yet? Uh, he's still scoring points. Yeah, so. but it's sad, you know. It's like I, I want yeah. him to have another. Like, <clears throat> I want to have a thirty goal season. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I don't necessarily feel like last season was like a flash in the pan because the year before he had a seventy five point season <laughs> instead yeah. of a seventy six point season the next season. So like he's clearly like capable of doing that. Um, a lot of some of the writers for media outlets have been talking about how the departure of bob bugner uh was especially big for burns and i guess they had a quote unquote special relationship Mm. um that really helped him flourish while bugner was in town and you can see that by the seasons he put up i like that burns is still getting assists he's still putting all the shots on net that he needs to be doing Mm -hmm. um and he's uh, not just firing it into shin guards anymore. He's he's moving around in that area and he's shuffling around. Yeah, because um, teams teams have the book on him now. I've also noticed that since they've given some Tim Heed that place on the top power play unit, he's mm-hmm. Burns has been more comfortable with feeding it to Heed because Heed will just like go in his wheelhouse and, and yeah. get those hard slap shots on net. And Burns is like, oh, I'll, I'll distribute it to him a little bit too because people yeah. aren't expecting it from Heed, you know. They're expecting Burns has to that shoot. Killer shot. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, definitely Burns esque. Yeah, you know? like I had heard about that. People were talking about oh, it's like a Burns light. Uh, in the AHL last year, he you know put up crazy numbers mm. and his shot was just ridiculous. And then I watched a preseason game of uh, the Sharks playing at the Ducks, and his wrist shot was like a freaking cannon. Mm-hmm. And I was like. Oh, yeah. that's oh. why he talks about that. Right. Yeah, so I really I really do like that. Um, our first unit power play, I don't really think they're gelling quite as much as they will be. They're still doing fine. Um, I think that dual threat from the top with Burns and Heed is really going to pay off dividends once people get a little bit more comfortable. Heed starts putting in some points, assists, gets in some shots on net so that people have to guard Heed a little bit more, take a little bit pressure off burns mm-hmm. um one of the big changes from the power play Kutcher was talking about was that uh the wings or the not the wings but the people playing along the boards mm-hmm. on the power play unit are have a ton of emphasis to really speed in there and retrieve the puck back yeah. to the team uh and i i can see that doing really well for them already uh they're not really quite as stationary 
stationary. I don't know why I said it like that. Um, but they're moving around. They're really gunning and fast to retrieve the pucks. I like what I'm seeing. They're they're getting a few um, kind of greasy goals, a couple of bounces going their way that I think kind of inflates their stats a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think this is a power play. That's how a good amount of goals are always scored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The second unit um, has been a bit... Like, uh, <laughs> they were, like, stuck in... I, I think yesterday's game against Buffalo, there was one power play where the second unit was out there a lot, and they were, like, stuck in mid. They, they were they were not moving. They were just staying, mm-hmm. like, in place. At one point, like, Donskoy was on the boards, and he passed it to Meyer, or, like, Bodker, and they kept on, like, passing it back oh, and they, forth yeah, against yeah, the boards. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, get it yeah. moving. That's, like, not going to do anything. Yeah, I think whoever's in the middle of the ice like didn't really have room to operate, and the person kept on passing it back to them. They're like, "No, I don't have space." I also saw like uh, Kevin Kerr's post about how like I wonder when the Sharks' coaching staff is gonna realize that Mark Edward Vlasic is not a power play defenseman. And to be honest, yeah. like he makes some like he just tries to shoot a bunch, but he doesn't have like very good shots a lot of times. And I love yeah. Vlasic. I see. What, but, I see what they're saying with that too. Yeah, he. Uh, he just wants to score a lot, but he doesn't really have the shot for it very much. I yeah. Think, so, um, yeah. Is Hurdle on the second power play unit? I believe so. You remember the goal that Hurdle scored in the power play goal that Hurdle scored against Carey Price when Montreal played us? Or when we played in Montreal? Mm. No, it was when Montreal played us at home in the first couple of games. Uh, I don't I don't think I saw it. That's one of the games I wasn't so he able was, to see. Is when he was standing at the left side of the net, facing out, like as the goalie, the same direction the goalie faces. Okay. Looking, and you know they pass it down to that person. That person generally like takes it, and then they swivel and try to slam it in. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like a, a set play that a lot of teams do. What he did is he instead of like receiving it, stopping the puck, and then doing a slam thing, he received it, tipped it, and like let it go between his feet. Because Carey Price was like guessing that he was going to slam it, so the Carey Price isn't like on the post as much. He receives it, tips it between his legs, and like fakes a move that he's going to do that, and it just like slides in and scores. Oh! And when I saw that, I was like, "What? He's so lucky! That's so awesome! Like that's such a creative play!" But like, man, he really lucked out. And then he did it. He did the exact same thing last game, oh, and really? I was like. <gasps> It wasn't on accident. Hurdle's a mastermind. I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. No, I did not notice that. Because it looks... I'll see if I can like find the find the clip and send it to you, but it looks like real smooth. Yeah, I want to see that. Um, yeah, but I was like, woo. The only other thing I don't like about our power play, I think, like I already said, Burns taking it out needs to get a little bit better. Um, on the uh, breakout for the first power play unit, I do not like... Uh, LeBanc in a two-on-one situation or a two-on-two situation shorthanded mm. where he's kind of playing high now at the point. A lot of times the power play rotates to a diamond, so there's only one person at the point. LeBanc is often the person coming back, getting help, and he's made a couple of plays that I'm not really a fan of defensively. But he needs to be in that high roll where he really gets to shoot because he's got a crazy shot instead of like a low roll like a hurdle in front of the net or a dance going in traffic. Yeah. So like I think he's in the right position, but I don't quite like that how he plays defensively. There's a, specifically there's one goal, I think it was the against Boston, where Hein Heinen scored his first two goals of his career against us. Mm-hmm. And the second one, or maybe it was the first one, he was coming back and uh 
Tim Heed, I think, or some defenseman is like playing wide, back skating, and then uh, LeBanc is back skating in the front, and then he's actually skating, forward skating back towards the net, and then Heinen just jumps like right, he like does a swim move right across him, and Hurdle or uh, LeBanc just like lets him go by, and then Heinen proceeds to get inside position and score. Mm. And it's just like, mm, if you're playing D and you're kind of like stopping a rush attack, like you need to tie up that player, and he just let him go right by, and it's like, mm, I think you should work on that. Yeah. Well, but that is me being nitpicky. Well, they need to just stay on the lines for forever and not be taken out for despite yeah. their mistakes, and then they'll become like Connor McDavid, right? That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I should. I I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Anyway, well, we should wrap up this uh, mm-hmm. this episode of the podcast. Uh, it's good to be back. I know we haven't recorded in a while, but um, that's okay because we don't need to record after every two games. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to go through goal by goal by goal by goal. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, I'm optimistic for the season. I think it'll kind of trend where we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of in the playoff hunt, maybe we'll get a spot. Hopefully we will. Depends on what other teams are doing, but I think – uh, the Coyotes right now kind of buried themselves in a hole that they will not be able to get out yeah, of. Yeah. I think because of this early start, unless they literally turn it around like right away, it's going to stop them from getting into the playoffs. And, you know, it will be really interesting to see if a trade does happen. Um, yeah. Like you, like you purported or like earlier on our first podcast of the season that Doug Wilson mm-hmm. might make a trade like he did for Thornton like sometime earlier in the season rather than before the trade deadline. So it would be curious yeah. to see if something happens. Um, yeah, like that. And to repeat that, like Doug Wilson repeated multiple, multiple times in the first interviews across the first couple of games and even before the season started, saying that in the past I've done this type of move to get the player when we had the time, when we had the need and the, like after the start of the season showed that like we needed the move, we had the prospects and cap space to make the move and we did it. So, um, and we have prospects yeah, I, and we have cap space. We have space, prospects and we, we have, have some space. veterans we could shed too. <laughs> yeah, I th- no, seriously, I think Br- Justin Braun is going to be a huge asset that likely could be moved. No, yeah, he's so good, I, I mean, though. <laughs> he's so good, but our depth is so good. Like, if you have Dylan uh, jump up into that spot, I think that you know that would mean that the bottom pairing could be Ryan and DeMello. Yeah. I think Dylan could fill in the role that Braun was doing, maybe not as good, but enough of a replacement to justify trading away Braun if the I, return was good. I see what you're saying, yeah. I don't quite want to do it, but you know, depending on who we're going for, I think we could. I think it sounds like we will. We definitely have the need, and um, if we do, I hope it's for a long-term player Yeah. instead of just a rental, and I hope they'll be young. Well, on that note, we will uh, see everybody next time on Back to the Point. Again, Mm -hmm. my name is Migs. And I'm Ian, and you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Back to the Point. Me, I don't remember my handle. I think it's Ian P. Steven. (laughs) And Migs at... I think I'm DMigs22. Migs is private. He doesn't use Twitter. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Email us us at... uh, Yeah. uh, We probably won't email us. It won't really matter. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's but like I'll say back it again, to the point it's, at it's back to point podcast like at yahoo.com. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, tweet at us, send us your re- send us your messages, any questions, we'd love to talk about them on air. Um, yeah, we'll see you next time. 
and go Sharks. Go Sharks.